last week we had a couple of you just kind of sharing what God is doing and the ways that God was stirring in you. Um, I said last week how we just want to continually remind us that we are a word-driven church, that we are a church that believes in the full sufficiency of the scriptures, that we believe that this has everything we need for life and godliness, for walking in deeper joy and deeper life that God is not trying to take from us, but give generously. He gave generously in Jesus, and he gives generously even in commands and things that he has for us. So um, it's been amazing to hear about just the ways that you guys are being shaped by the word and grown by the word and conform more into the image of Jesus by the word. And last week we heard from a couple of you guys. And um, Dan House was going to share last week, but he decided to sacrifice and go to Florida for the weekend. Uh, so he suffered well, uh, but he's back. And uh, Dan, if you don't mind just coming up, there were some things that Dan also has been uh, just been taught by God that he'd been sharing with me. And I said, man, you just, again, we can't celebrate what we don't know. And uh, just want you to share just a few minutes of uh, the ways that God has been working in you through his word. So uh, thanks, man. Remember, not 30 minutes. Mike told me I need to be brief, so we're not here until uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, it was also funny, too. I, uh, I thought I got out of it last week when I was in Florida, and Mike's like, that's a dumb excuse. Um, and he's like, how about you speak next week? So I said, I guess I'm supposed to speak uh, uh, today. Um, but very briefly, um, kind of just wanted to share um, how this study uh, how this journey through Philippians uh, has begun to shape and change um, some different patterns uh, in my life. Uh, I would say a lot of us, um, what society tells us and what a lot of us believe um, is that we need to live up to a certain standard. Um, we need to uh, make a difference in the world. We need to be somebody. Um, and if we don't hit that mark, we're missing out, we're failing. Um, and for myself, I think I believed a lot of this. I believed a lot of these lies uh, during high school, uh, during college. And I think I became disappointed. Uh, I became disappointed when my life began, began to uh, reflect that of my parents, my friends, when my life was just very normal. Uh, it didn't really stand out. I wasn't really seeing too much of, of a difference. Um, but what has really affected and, and challenged me is as we've been going through uh, this study, just um, killing pride and just learning to be humble. Uh, a verse that stood out two, year, uh, two, two weeks ago was, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others uh, better than yourself. And what this has taught me is two things. One, to live a life of gratitude. Uh, two, to live a life that is dependent and relying on the gospel. Um, so live a life of gratitude. Uh, know that God has called me to a specific place, to this church, to this country, uh, to the state for, for a reason. And it's learning to embrace that. It's uh, learning to know that God is working on my heart, um, that he's breaking me, he's molding me, he's shaping me, um, so that I can reflect the image of, of Jesus. Um, and, that's, and being content in that and surrendering to that. And knowing that although my life is not heading in the trajectory which I thought it was, uh, God has other plans for me. And it's being able to submit and trust to uh, those, those plans. I'd say uh, number two, living a, a life dependent on, on the gospel, is knowing that because Christ performed for me, I don't have to believe this, this pressure to perform. Uh, because Christ has worked on my behalf, I don't need to, to work anymore. Uh, I'm righteous. I'm righteous positionally because of what Jesus has done for me. 
Um, and because of that reality, I don't need to work any harder. Um, I can just accept where I am. I don't need to work for significance or for value my life. Um, so I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna challenge us because I'm challenged by what I'm saying today, um, but I can encourage us. We're a broken church of broken people to uh, continue to, to walk together, uh, to push each other forward, uh, to love each other well, and to point each other to Jesus. Um, so I'm so thankful for this church and uh, just for everyone here. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Dan. Amen, man. Good. Yeah, just lo- love hearing from other people uh, so you don't just have to listen to me uh, every week. Uh, I'm sure that gets old after a while. So, um, but no, I just, just again, a reminder, if, if God is working in you, we want to hear about it. Um, not just me. Like we uh, really want to hear how God's working. So let's pray. We're going to dive into Philippians chapter 3. Uh, going to be starting chapter 3 this morning, and I think God has a lot uh, for us, so not to delay. God, thank you that, that you're real, that, that you're here, that you're present. Thank you that you are constant, that you're on your throne even now, in full control and full authority and full sovereignty over all things. God, thank you that nothing escapes your mind. God, thank you that you actually care for us, that we are precious in your sight, that you just even take notice of us in light of the weight of your glory. Uh, we pray that this morning you'd move our hearts towards a longing to know you, uh, not to know you so that we get things, but that the goal would be you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, where this is kind of like the linchpin of the book of Philippians. It's where uh, if you want to kind of narrow down the book of Philippians to one kind of section, I really think it's these 11 verses, chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Um, if you're just kind of entering into this thing, uh, we're in the book of Philippians in, in the New Testament. It's a letter where uh, the Apostle Paul is writing, and he's in his second year imprisonment term, and he's writing to the Philippian church. We saw in Acts 16, started by him and Timothy. They planted this church. There was a girl named Lydia who was saved and converted. There was a, a girl who was en- enslaved uh, to demon possession and, and to men as well, and we saw her delivered by the power of Christ. There was also a jailer who was converted to Christ. So these three, along with Paul and Timothy and their, their group, they found this church, plant this church, start this church, and then God just starts doing great things. So Paul's writing back to these people, and it's an endearing letter. It's an affectionate letter. He wants them to know that he, he cares for them, that he loves them. But his goal constantly is just to drive their hearts headlong into Jesus. So he's like, you got to get that the goal is him, that, that everything that happens. Remember in chapter 1, he's the one who started your salvation. He's going to keep it going. He's going to finish it in the end. Hey, know that the advancement of the gospel is happening because I'm in prison. Don't worry about me. And then he keeps going, and he, he shows this humility displayed through Christ that someone who understands that work that Jesus did as you pursue him cultivates a humble heart, one that's not conceited or proud, one that looks to the interests of others. And as we gazed at Christ, that then rolled into, hey, work out this salvation. If you're a follower of Jesus, follow him. Like there's this weird thing in Christianity where we think we can be a Christian or say we're a follower of Jesus, but we look nothing like him. And so he's saying, hey, work out that salvation, and it's God who's doing it in you. You're not doing it on your own. God's not void of you. He's not abstract from you. He's not just saying, hey, hey, hurry up, hurry up, you know, give me a pat on the butt. He's saying, no, I'm the one empowering, enabling, and doing it all. You just keep being obedient and following me, and it'll lead you into deeper joy and life in light of who I am. And then we saw how that stands us out in the light of a crooked and perverse generation. We saw how God has called us as a people to be salt and light, a city on a hill, and then he gave us three models of the humility of Jesus that caused people to see a difference, which was himself and Epaphroditus and Timothy. And here what Paul's going to do is get you back to the point of everything. 
Okay, so this is kind of the, the door hinge or the linchpin or the focal point of really if you want to take chapters 3 and 4 and 1 and 2 and fold them into 11 verses, I think this is where Paul would go. And uh, so here's what Paul is going to say, and I love this passage because Paul's talking about just being absolutely consumed with Jesus. Like it's not about keeping your life balanced and sprinkling religion in somewhere. Like it's 110% about him. Like, it's all about him. This all revolves around Jesus. you got to start with him and then fan out. You don't start out here on the fringe and then fan inward. right? You start with the substance that is all things, which is Christ. Here's what Paul writes in chapter 3. He says this. Finally, he says that a lot. He's not done. He's going to say finally again later. Finally, my brothers. I think he might have been wanting to be done, but there was more that God gave him. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And is safe for you. So, so Paul says, finally, hey, hey, rejoice in the Lord. Now, why rejoice in the Lord? Because everything he just said. So he's just saying, hey, rejoice in the Lord because you have Christ. Remember in chapter 1, rejoice because he's the one who started your salvation. Rejoice in the one that he takes delight in not just justifying you, but sanctifying you over time. Take delight, rejoice in the Lord because the advancement of the gospel is happening in Caesar's household because of my imprisonment. And people are trusting Christ because of my suffering. Rejoice in that. Hey, rejoice in the Lord because of the humility displayed in Christ on your behalf when you didn't deserve it. Rejoice in the Lord that he's working out your salvation with your fear and trembling. I mean, just keep rejoicing in the Lord. Because if you rejoice in things outside of Christ, it's based on your mood. You'll be up and down all the time. You'll be happy, sad, anxious, mad, depressed. But if you rejoice in him and what he's doing, that's always constant. He's on his throne. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So rejoice in that. Okay, rejoice in him. And then he says this kind of fun thing to write the same things to you isn't, isn't troublesome for me. He's just going, I, I know I'm repeating myself over and over and over. But the best things are worth repeating. So I'm just going to keep saying it over and over and over. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Christ. Rejoice in who you are in Jesus. Rejoice in all these things I've just said to you. I'm not going to shut up about it. It's not trouble for me. It's actually really good for your soul. It's safe for you. These are good things that I'm writing to you. And then Paul's going to show us how there are those who want to make their faith by what they do and don't do. So he's going to say, hey, but watch out for people who try to add to the all-sufficient Jesus that you're rejoicing in. Okay, watch out for these people. Watch out what they, they try to do because they've got this list of things. They think this is some sort of evidence of greater spirituality, and that's not the case. Okay, they're putting confidence in their flesh. They're not putting confidence in Christ. And, 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 and notice how this is going to connect to chapter 2. This is a pride-built faith, right? I mean, he just, see, you, that's why reading full letters is so important, right? Because he just finished talking about not being conceited, being humble, looking to Christ's humility, and that affecting your soul so deeply that it fans out everywhere else. So listen, the pride-built faith is a conceited faith that says, look at what I've done, look at my moral accomplishments, look at what, all the stuff I've done to build up my kingdom, and I'm, I'm not looking at Christ. A Christ-built faith is a humble faith. So this, this all seamlessly ties together. Look what he says in verse 2. Look out for the dogs. He's using strong language here. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. I mean, Dan Ouse was just preaching this. None. So he says, as you rejoice, hey, watch out for these people he calls dogs. <laughs> now, 
when you hear that, this isn't like your pet lassie in your house. Okay, you're, you're going, oh, you know, this dog. No, no. The, the, understand, these people thought of dogs not as pets, but as like just rotten scavengers. Scum of the earth. Okay? I'm actually a cat lover. Don't judge me. Okay? But, but, but I, I mean, I just don't really see the big deal in dogs. I know all you guys are going to leave the church now since you found that out. But, but seriously, like, like the, these, these dogs, they just, why do you, they poop everywhere. They just, in your lawn, you know, you got to clean up. Cats are actually, they go to their own place. They do it where they're supposed to do it. They're, they don't, okay. All right, anyway, so, so you get the idea, though. Dogs have always been just rotten scavengers. I mean, they've always been the scum of the earth, right? So, so here is, I love it when I can use a text to defend my point. No, okay. Okay, bring it back. Bring it back. Bring it back. So, so he, here's... Here's what he's saying. Here's what's so important to know about why he's calling them dogs, okay? Dogs was actually the term that the Judaizers, this group of people who, who basically became so puffed up in their religious activity and their moral accomplishments, said this is how you obtain righteousness, this is how you obtain favor before God. They would actually call anyone who didn't abide to their system of the law dogs. So Paul's just flipping around going, no, no you're the dogs. Like, you're the evildoer. Like, it's not, it's not me. You're the one who's just putting confidence in your flesh. You, you, you've got this system, this law that you think we have to keep to earn righteousness, and he's going to get into it. It's, it's Christ alone who does that. So he's going, you're, you're, you're trying to form this system and persuade this Philippian church into something that's not right. He goes, you're just mutilating your flesh. Ah, that's, that's profound. That's direct. Because he mentions this idea of circumcision. Now, it may be kind of weird, but let's, let's talk about this for a minute. This idea of circumcision, because I think it's really important that we understand this. In the Old Testament, God always marked off his people, Israel. And, and one of the ways he did that was circumcision. It's the way he marked them off. But listen, here was the point of it. The point of circumcision was for someone to say, I'm aligning with God. It was like wearing a team jersey. Okay? I believe in the promises of God. I believe in the God of the universe. I believe in the deliverer that's going to come. So, so God externally marked off his people okay, with a, with a visible external sign. What happens in the New Testament? In the New Testament, Jesus comes, Jesus lives, Jesus dies, Jesus rises, and he sends the Holy Spirit, and he says, hey, you're now going to be circumcised by your heart. It's no longer an external marking. It's an internal transformation. So it's no longer this outward thing that does anything for you. It's this internal working, this internal working of the Holy Spirit that circumcises your heart and marks you off as mine. Now, we know in this letter that the Holy Spirit is what visibly helps us display the fruit that we are of God. So, so here's what circumcision was never meant to be. It was never meant to be a work or an act that earned favor with God, ever. It was just a marking that you belonged and identified with him. It was never something you were supposed to do to add favor before him or add righteousness. And so Paul's saying, why are you taking this act of circumcision and trying to throw it on the way that Jesus has called us to himself and reconciled us through his death, burial, and resurrection alone? But like you, you, it doesn't matter what you do to yourself. You're just cutting yourself. You're just doing stuff. You're just religious. You're not saved. I mean, profound stuff here, right? So, so he's, saying, he's saying to the Philippian church, hey, watch out for that. He calls them evildoers. And notice what he, he says here. He says, we glory in Christ Jesus and don't put confidence in the flesh. You can just change out glory and put boast. Like, we don't boast in what we do. We boast in what Christ has done, right? So this is, 
This is a continual theme in all of the New Testament and the scriptures, right? So if you think this, this, this gathering here is a group of people that come in and go, hey, hey, look at all the good things I've done. Like you're missing it. Like this is a group of people that comes in the room and goes, hey, look at how great Christ is. Look at what he's already done for me. Okay, so, so look at how rebellious and wicked and sinful and intrinsically wrong I am and how I stumble and fall. But look at how good my God is that picks me up every day and, and relentlessly pursues me and shows me grace and shows me kindness and shows me love and continually fills me with his spirit and enables me to walk in a likeness that, that I can't possibly do on my own. So I'm trying to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, but he's doing it in me, right? So we constantly deflect off of us to him. And so that's what Paul is trying to get us at. He's trying to show us. He's trying to show that we constantly point people not to what we do, but what Christ has already done for us, the righteousness we've been given. So look at what Paul says. These guys are all boasting about their moral accomplishments, and Paul's going to go, hey, if you want to boast about stuff, let me, let me just roll out for you my sheet. Let me show you all the stuff I could boast about. Verse 4. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel... Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Don't miss seven. But whatever gain I had, I consider it loss. I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul says, you're busy boasting and all this stuff you've done. So let, let's, let's play this game. I've got a lot more to boast about. Man, you want to talk about someone who's, who, you want to talk about lineage or you just being saved because you're in the family? I was with the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, that, that, that tribe was loved by God, used by God. Man, I'm, I'm down the whole line. Man, I was, I was a true Jew. I was circumcised the eighth day just like all you were. I, I had that circumcision. Man, you want to you talk about the law I was a Pharisee. I mean, everyone knew Paul upheld the law. Like, he did it perfectly. He goes, you want to talk about zeal? I was so zealous that I was out persecuting Christians because they were against this thing. It's like, do you, do you want to talk about someone who's, who's done that, been there, done it all? I mean, I mean, that, that's me. Like, you're looking from a law standpoint, blameless. From works righteousness, blameless. So let's just think about that for a second in today's terms. You got reason to boast? I've never missed church, not one Sunday. I read my Bible every single day. I've never said a cuss word. Even the ones that Christians make up. Right? <laughs> just I've never said it. Never said it, right? I, I mean, I, I, I've got the whole catechism memorized. Second London Confession, Article 4, done, in the bank. I got memorization cards on my card. Listen, Paul is trying to say as loud as he possibly can, if you do all of that stuff and it's void of knowing Christ, it's void of affection for Christ, who cares? Like, who really cares? I mean, you can, just, you can just come in here every Sunday, just sit here and play the mantra, play the game, hear things, read the Bible, just to read it, but it's void of him. It's void of you going headlong into knowing Jesus. If you miss that, you have lost. You have not won, and you will never win. Like, like Paul, you, you see Paul's heart here. I mean, he's trying to get you to the, to the rock bottom, 
bottom end of the day, this is what matters. He's the substance. He's the source of everything that happens. And if you miss him in the midst of all this other stuff that just becomes religion and not anything else of worship to God, then, then you're totally living a life of vanity. I mean, we can easily insert ourselves here. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm a really good Christian. Okay, but what does that mean? You have no love for him. But you love doing stuff. Maybe you're just religious and not saved. I mean, I mean, Jesus says this. A lot of you are going to come and stand before me, right? I didn't know you. You didn't know me. You did a lot of stuff. I prophesied your name, and I cast out demons. But, but I, I, I didn't know you. Did a lot of good stuff. A lot of righteous acts. Paul says, I don't stand here boasting about all my righteous works because now I know Christ. I don't have to, bra- that was his life, boasting in the ways that he upheld the law. In the ways that even in his arrogant zeal, he became a persecutor of the very thing that he would become. Right? And, and look at why. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, can gain come from those things? Absolutely. Right? I mean, you can have gain from, from guarding your life in those ways and, and pursuing the word and loving, right? I mean, there's gain from that. But if it's void of being connected to Jesus, then it won't continue. So whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I can't, I can't even read these. I mean, I, if you're like, I don't know if you're like me. I just, I have trouble every, every verse believing that he means this. Anyways, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So he goes, not only do I consider all of my achievements as loss compared to knowing Christ, I've also just willingly suffered the loss of all things. I've freely given it away. And not only have I suffered the loss of all things, I count it as rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And that word rubbish is a terrible translation. Unless you're English. Okay? No, rubbish. Okay? So that's not, that's not the, the, the actual word is skubalos here. It's actually the only time in the New Testament this word is used. And Paul is trying to get you to understand. He's trying to use the strongest word possible to show the comparison of all of the stuff that he loves and his worldly achievements compared to Jesus Christ. He's trying to find a word he can insert to show you how drastically far apart they are. And that word actually refers to animal excrement. Now listen, I would say the word that he really means, but you'd all walk out of here going, I can't believe he said that. Okay, so I'm not going to use that word, but just, just let's use crap. Okay? That's, you got to get, this is what he's saying. So, so he's looking at all of these different things he has in comparison to Christ and going, they're just a pile of crap. Literally. They're, they're just rubbish. Like in comparison to knowing Jesus. 
Here's what Paul is desperately trying to drive home to the Philippians' heart, to Lydia's heart, to the jailer's heart, to the slave girl's heart, to all of our hearts. He's trying to lay before you why you should adamantly pursue Jesus at all costs. Because if you clean up your whole life, you attend church every Sunday, and you look just like the Christian community wants you to look like, and it's void of Jesus, you haven't won. You haven't won. And you'll continually be lost floundering about, looking for and thinking and making up a theology in your mind that is nowhere in the scriptures. It says you have to behave to be. And so Paul's saying, man, don't let your goal be morality. Don't let your goal be a better self-image. Let your goal be him. Let your, let your goal be Jesus Christ. Don't let your goal be the perfect marriage. Don't let, your, don't let your goal be, I don't know what it is for you, but let your goal be Jesus Christ. And this is so challenging because I had to stop and ask myself this week this question. Do I consider all that the world holds in high regard loss compared to knowing Christ? Is that true of me? Like, like some of you, can you say, man, it used to be all about how I looked. A whole life, I mean, just consumed with it. And spending hours upon hours a day just looking just right and paying to look better and getting all the clothes. That, but then I met Jesus. And that's just a pile of crap compared to knowing Jesus. Or man, I, I used to... I used to spend my whole life just wanting to make money, right? Just working the chain, trying to be the, the head of my company, saving up my 401K, stocking up everything I could, just, just saving, hoarding, hoarding, hoarding. Then I met Christ. <laughs> I realized, hold on, that's all just rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. He's the heir of all things. He owns the money, he owns the galaxies, he, and I'm a co-heir with him, so I'm wrapped up in that. Like, I, I inherit everything that he has, so I'm the richest man on the planet. So, so I mean, all these different areas. I mean, I, maybe for you, it's, man, I used to be all about the parties, right? I mean, that's where it was at, man, just vices and addictions, just numbing the pain and escaping reality. And then I met Jesus. He doesn't just, just help me escape reality or numb pain. He actually cures me. Right, like, like this. So then I met Jesus, I realized, man, that's just vanity. I mean, that world, that thing that the world holds in high regard is just lost compared to knowing Jesus. Maybe for some of you it's like, man, I used to live my whole life just being a really good kid. Just doing all the right things and saying all the right things. I realized then all, even that is a pile of crap compared to knowing Jesus. I mean, that, that's where Paul's trying to get our hearts, that he is constant, he's ever He's unchanging. His steadfast forgiveness and love is, is laid before you every morning you wake up. His mercy's there. His love's there. His affection's there. He's, he's just welcoming you in, not a based upon anything you've done. I mean, today, knowing that you can do nothing leaving this room and his love doesn't change. Like, you're just sitting in your seat right now. <laughs> like, we've got to drill down. Because, because when our hearts drill down and then go headlong into Jesus, that starts bubbling up true affection, true love, true worship. So we come in this room not trying to be good or look good. We come and just wanting to worship. Because Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the pursuit. 
And Paul's just hammering this home. And here's what I love. Look at what Paul says. This, this to me, was so interesting. He says, I want to gain Christ. But he's already gained Christ. Did you see that? He wa- this is so important. <laughs> Paul is a man who's already gained Christ. But he wants to gain more. What is this revealing? The persistent plea throughout the New Testament, and especially in in chapter 2, that there is more of Christ to be had. That you never get all of him. That your uncovering of all that is Jesus Christ in knowing him never stops. Like there's more to gain. There's more to win. Like, like the, the fact that this is, man, if, if we're not careful, this will completely dis- just destroy you, seeing that Paul says this, right? I mean, I'm reading this, and I'm going, going wait a second, Paul, I mean, you're, you're an apostle. You wrote half the New Testament. I mean, what do, you, what do you mean there are spaces in your life where you want to gain more of Christ? I mean, you've got him. Like, if there's anyone who's, whose life looks that way, who, who models it, who emulates it, I mean, dude, I, if I'm going to guess, I'm saying, Paul, you've got this thing covered. You consider it all lost. You just said all that. And he go, he's going, man, even me. I mean, even the Apostle Paul, man, there's more to gain. There's more to know. There's more to step into. There's deeper waters to swim in all the time. I mean, so here's what I want to encourage you in. Even Paul has not uncovered all there is to knowing Jesus. So how does that encourage you and me? We don't either. That it's about the pursuit Listen, it's not about this bar or this expectation you meet. It's about the pursuit of him. So, so the concern for Paul is, are you pursuing? Are you pressing in him? Are you growing your knowledge of him? Are you desiring to love him more? Like, that's the goal. The goal is not you becoming something. The goal is, are you on a trajectory of working out your salvation with fear and trembling as God works in you to will and work to his good pleasure? It's, it's this amazing, amazing thought So the fact that there are spaces lacking in Paul, I don't know about you, gives me great encouragement. (laughs) Knowing that, man, okay, okay, I have hope. I have hope in my pursuit of him. Because even Paul was saying, I don't know him enough. There's more of him that I need to see. There's more of him that I need to know. Look at when we study Ephesians. Ephesians said this profound truth in this regard in chapter 2, verse 7. You don't know if you remember this? So that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness towards us in who? Christ Jesus. So what is Paul saying here? It's going to take not just your earthly existence. It's going to take ages upon ages to know the depth and beauty that is Jesus Christ. Right? So, so it's, this is going to take eternity. Like there, he's, he's so majestic and so glorious and so good and so worthy and so holy and just so weighty and so full of all that exists, all that is essence of life, that as you pursue Jesus, you're never going to stop having to know him and grow more in him and grow more knowledge of him. And as you do that, it grows you in Christ, matures you in Christ. I mean, this is profound. He's saying this is the goal of your heart. So because Christ is infinite, there will always be more to see. There will always be more to uncover. So if you think you have uncovered it all, you're arrogant. It goes back to chapter 2. You're conceited. 
you're not realizing all that there is to see in Jesus. So let that give you hope and warmth. It's not about an expectation to arrive at. It's about the pursuit. It's what Paul's after. So brother or sister, let me ask you a a question. If you have been saved by the grace and kindness of God through Jesus Christ, is that leading you into a more passionate plea for more of him? Or into just more moral codes for you to abide by? Where's, where's it leading you? If, if you have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, if you have been found in Christ, you've trusted in his life, death, burial, resurrection, right? And, and you've received the Holy Spirit, what is that doing? Is that leading you into, okay, i got to fix and change this, or I want to go headlong into him. I want to know him. I want to grow my knowledge of him. I want to grow in love for him. I want to grow in worship for him. Which is it doing? It's a great question to ask to see where your heart's going. See if you're drifting where Paul's trying to lure you away from and then go pointed towards where Paul's trying to point your heart. Do you live your life by, I'm just trying to avoid what's wrong or I want to know him? Like if we could just have a banner over our hearts this morning, what would it say? just want to press into him. I just want to know more. Or is it, I'm just, just trying to manage sin. Just trying to be a sin manager. That's a, that's a joyless way to live. And it's not the way the scriptures encourage us to live. They say drive headlong into Jesus. And then, man, your sin will begin to be managed and change. You don't clean yourself up and then keep coming to Jesus. You go to Jesus, press into Jesus, and he cleans you up. Continually refines you, grows you, shapes you. This is, a, this is a massively important thing for us to see. So, so here, here's something else. Paul keeps pressing this idea of knowing him and gaining him, okay? So let me state the obvious because it, I didn't realize how obvious it was until I saw it in this text of Philippians 3. The reason Paul wants you to pursue him is so that you know him. Doesn't that seem obvious? Well, you're going, yeah, of course. No, 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 no. But think about it. He wants you to pursue Jesus Christ so that you get what you want? No, no. So that you know him. Because by knowing him, you're gaining more of him and your soul is going to be more deeply satisfied and more deeply rich and more deeply yearning for the one thing that will continually satisfy you so you keep driving into him. So, so here's, here's why I want us to think about this for a second is because if your thinking is I'm pursuing Jesus as an avenue to get something else, you'll continually be frustrated and think God betrayed you when he never did that because he made promise to you that, that actually was a promise you made to you and you thought God made it to you. And so when he doesn't fulfill that, you get angry, shake your fist at the heavens when he's going, man, all I promised you was me. I mean, but do you see why this is, 
This is so important. So if, if you're pursuing Jesus to say, hey, God, I'll pursue Jesus if you fix my marriage, or I'll pursue Jesus if you cure my crazy kid, or I'll pursue Jesus if you get me that job, or I'll pursue you and press into you if you heal me, then what happens is when those things don't happen to you, all of a sudden you feel betrayed by God of the universe. He never betrayed you. Because that was a promise you made to yourself. God's going, my promise to you has always been me. We, we, we've got to get this. What does, according to the New Testament, if, if we remain in him, what's the promise? He remains in you. Right? Great commission. What happens if we follow this great commission and, and, and teach everything we've been commanded? We go out, we spread this gospel, we, we evangelize, we, we baptize. I'll be with you. You get me. I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Wait, wait, hey, if you abide in me, right, you're connected to me, the vine and the branches, John 15, I mean, the promise is you get me, then you start bearing fruit. Jesus' promise to you is Jesus. Is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? Because you know what I hear all the time? Yeah, yeah, I, I know I get Jesus. I mean, I know I get forgiveness of sin. I don't get damnation, eternal torment, and the wrath of God poured out on me for all of eternity. I mean, I know I get that, but what else? I, what? What? You, you, you get Jesus. You get him. You get the one who's reigning. In full authority, the one who Colossians says is the essence of all things. He holds all things together. He is in all things. He works through all things. You, you get Christ. Like, 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 listen, he's not the lottery ticket. Like, he's the lottery. You know what I'm saying? Like, like a lot of times we think, man, Jesus is the ticket to then win the lottery. Right? No, no, no. He's the lottery. Like, you, you win the lottery. You get it all. I mean, you, this is... And, I know this is something that we just got to pray and ask God for because you can't just flip a switch and, and we're going to next week see more of how this actually practically works out. But I just wanted our hearts to land in the space of we've got to get this. That this is the primary promise of him is that you get himself. You get his Holy Spirit. He is comfort. Like he is power. You, you have that when you get Christ. Now, can God reconcile your marriage? Absolutely. Can God fix your crazy kid? Absolutely. Can God give you that job? Absolutely. Can God heal you? Absolutely. Should you beg God for those things? Absolutely. Should you ask him to work and intervene in your family, in your marriage, in your children? Absolutely. Should we be furious when he doesn't? Absolutely not. Because we are tiny and have puny brains. And so when God answers differently, we default to his infinite wisdom and not our finite stupidity. I mean, that's where our hearts have to go. You know all things. You're before all things. You're in all things. You created all things. So, so I, I, I have no other option. Like I, I have no other option but to trust you. So, okay, if you say no, you know that's for the good of my soul. You know you're not trying to take from me. You're trying to lead me into somewhere good, somewhere sweet. 
might be painful for a season, but made your pruning and shaping and refining me. Although we might begin to think this way and see truth this way. I love that Paul says this in verse 10. That I may know him. Again, just that reiteration. I just want to know him. I just want to know him. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So he wants two things. He wants to know him. He wants to know his power. By knowing him and having him, you have his power and know his power. Okay? It's interchangeable. And may share in his sufferings. This is what we white out. Becoming like him in his death. Yep, here we go, right? That by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul goes, you know what? I just want to know him. I just want to know Christ. Most, now, I don't want to make a blanket statement. A good amount of people don't want to know Jesus. They want to make sure they get something from Jesus. And so what happens is we start bartering. And we form a contract that is not the covenant that we were brought into in Christ. So we say, okay, God, you've got these things that I want you to fulfill, and then I'll abide to this. And then once those things meet together and we sign on the dotted line, then I'll be happy, I'll be satisfied, I'll be good. So I'll follow Jesus if you do this. Fix my family. Redeem my marriage. Change my spouse. Fix my child. Give me more money. Make me suffer less. I don't know, right? But listen, guys, the biblical gospel has never been that. It has always been that I will follow Jesus even if, not if, even if trials avail me, even if I get sick and perish, even if my marriage gets worse. I'll stay in it, I'll fight, I'll grab hold of Christ who is my identity, who is my worth, who is my treasure because that sustains me and that keeps me. So I'll I'll follow Jesus, not based upon anything else, because you're already being given all that he promised you. And it's amazing because here he says, not just to know him, but know his power. He's going, hey, well, you're preoccupied with with, with this power you're looking for in you. You're trying to, you know, work your, your stamina every week. You're just endlessly trying to fix everything in your life and control everything in your life. He goes, man, aren't you getting tired? I mean, doesn't that just wear you out? He's going, look, this isn't a power that's intrinsically in you. This is a power outside of you that he offers to give you and enable you to sustain you, enable you to persevere, enable you to press on through trial, through suffering, through hurt, through all of those things that this fractured, fallen world brings upon us. No, we've, we've got him. We've got, when you get Jesus, you get his resurrected power. He goes, man, that's what I want. I don't want something to escape me around the flames or around the trial. I want something that's going to carry me through it. I want something that's, that's powerful enough to hold me together in the midst of my deepest, darkest days. Because then I'm identifying with Christ. And what does that do? It pushes you headlong in him. And then in turn, that gives you more of him. So, so here, here's what is, what is amazing is, is Paul is, is showing us here that if difficulty, if these sufferings push me more into the very one I'm pursuing, then bring it on. Because my goal is him. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, when do you lean into him most? 
When do you find the sweetest fragrances of Jesus around you? When you're clinging to his coattails, right? When you're desperate, right? So is it not a kind thing of God then to bring that and lay that before you in your life? If it's driving you into the very thing that will most fully satisfy you and grow you and fill you? It's a very kind thing then. This is what Mark Dever, a pastor in D.C. said. I just loved this quote. God in his tender providence may remove our comforts and may grant us a limp so that we will lean on him. His tender providence, his sweet care may remove things and grant you a limp. It's a gift. But if we, if we, I'm, If we could view our hardships and sufferings as a gift, he's granting it. Here you go. Right? Why? Why? So we lean on him. So we press into him. So you realize more of his power, more of his sustaining ability, more of his relentless, overwhelming comfort. I mean, how else can you know it? Then when you see him show up in the midst of a dark night of the soul. I mean, this is so... So profound. So if, if, if you come into to cab or you, you come to this gathering thinking that the purpose of this gathering is to like help your self-image, you're missing it. It's not about some little teachings that will help fix you and change you and, and then get you on your way. It's about you understanding and hearing about and embracing and trusting in an intense power that raised Jesus from the dead that is available to you and me to walk in that. Paul was, I more than anything want to attain the resurrection of the dead, which he has in Christ. Just as Christ was raised, so he will be raised. That's what Paul wants. Paul wants sweet communion with Jesus. So I want to end with just a question. Do you, do you want to know him? Do you want to know him? Or are you just kind of indifferent to that? And if you're just indifferent to that, like, I don't really care if I know him or don't know him, well, then you've got to examine why, right? Okay, maybe unconfessed sin, maybe unrepentant sin, or maybe you're just not saved. Maybe you've spent your whole life doing verses two through four, and none of your life has been 7 through 11. And you're just really religious. Listen, it's a good thing to at least acknowledge that if that's you. And let me, let me just caution some of you. None of this gives you a license to just do whatever you want. Like, it's not, well, cool. I mean, I don't have to worry about morality. I just pursue headlong into Jesus, and then I'll just naturally become this man or woman of God that he wants me. So I can enjoy both. I can just indulge in sin and love the world and sleep with people while I pursue Jesus. Well, that's impossible. So if you're trying to, like, play games with your theology right now, it doesn't work. The heart is so wicked and so deceitful. Listen, he's saying, pursue me. Press into me.
and be watchful of your life. Be watchful of how that plays into my day-to-day activity and examine your heart because that is indifference in disguise. It's you still trying to barter, saying, I can hold on to whatever I want and I'll still take you. That's not the gospel. You take him, he owns you. He says, now I'm calling the shots, but you trust me and believe me and want that because I'm the designer of all things. I'm the designer of the universe. And may we walk in that. Now, how does that knowing him grow us in maturity and kill sin? That's next week. We're going to talk about what that looks like. Paul's going to answer that. Let's, let's pray. God, thank you that this morning you just kind of laid before us reality. There wasn't a whole lot of doing other than press into Jesus Christ. Drive our hearts into him. God, that happens we know a number of ways. Community, prayer, the word asking but God could we just take a minute and and do a a good examination of our hearts do we want to know you is that the goal of our heart God what what has been our understanding of the gospel and salvation has it been to avoid what is wrong or to pursue a person who we're in relationship with who has reconciled us to himself by the glorious good news of the gospel where you came And you lived the life we couldn't and you bore the full wrath of God towards sin in our place and killed it and defeated it and annihilated it by taking it all the way to the grave and rose again, showing your full authority and power over that, over our sin, over our salvation, over you keeping us, ascended and gave your Holy Spirit to those who trust in that work. God, I pray that... God, if if we've been converted, that we wouldn't shift to being sin managers, but continually drive into the one who converted us and changed us. God, grow us in wisdom into what that looks like. God, help us to understand how we can practically know you more and grow in our knowledge of you. God, I pray we would encourage one another to know Jesus. And God, may you surprise us in the ways that you increase in our souls. God, thank you for the Lord's Supper that we're going to observe where we remember and celebrate that it's all about Jesus, that he did it all, that we have no righteousness from our own doing. We can put no confidence in our flesh. Our righteousness solely comes by the body that was broken and the blood that was shed through your son alone on that cross. God, may we not trust in any other thing but wholly lean on Jesus' name. We pray this in your perfect name. Amen.